welcome to the Keen on Yoga podcast, bringing you the stories of many people who in various ways are attempting to walk the path of yoga. Our intention is to inspire your own practice and commitment to yoga beyond the mat and in all areas of life. We consider this an offering, a service to the community and labour of love. If you feel inclined, any donations are appreciated, just visit our page and click the donate button at www.keenonyoga.co.uk forward slash podcast. I hope you enjoy the show. Lucy Crawford Scott began as an aromatherapist in 1990. It was there that she noticed a huge queue of people snaking down the road and found that they were taking workshop with Radha and Derek Ireland, the legendary Ashtanga yoga teachers, and that's how she fell into Ashtanga. Shortly after, in 1995, she began teaching, having travelled to India and received Patabi Joyce's blessing to teach. It was here that she met John Scott, with whom she has two children. And I met Lucy probably around 2004, when I participated on John and Lucy's first teacher training in Cornwall, where they lived at the time. It was here I remember being distinctly impressed by her relationship with the practice through her background in cranial sacral therapy. And that still impresses me today, the way that she adjusts the energy that she holds to the space. Welcome, Lucy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's lovely to have you. Um, you just tell us how you, how you came to yoga in the first place. Yeah, so I was um, working as a body worker in um, Alderton Street in central London. And um, a particular day, there were hundreds of people as I'd gone in to do work. There were hundreds of people lined up with yoga mats. And I wondered what on earth was happening. And it, it actually was a Derek and Rada week. Oh, really? Right. And I, um, I kind of was fascinated and went back the following day and joined Rada in a full primary series uh, a class. I'd kind of gone to the wrong one. There were, Derek was upstairs and there was all sorts Where of... Where was it? What space in London was it? Just out of interest. It, um, Dance Works, which right. was in Balderton Street, which is, it has a therapy part. Right. So I worked a lot with kind of dancers. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And I needed something for myself and I wasn't attracted to gym or, I was, I was kind of, a little afraid of joining some of the dance classes because they looked so advanced. Yeah. The, there was, you know, I'd already done some yoga and then I thought, well, this looks interesting. I'm going to, I'd peeked through the glass panels indoors on the Saturday and looked. And on Sunday I went and did this class and then I couldn't walk for about a week because I was did. The whole, your whole primary series in one go. Right. <laughs> but obviously to, to a very beginner level. Yeah, just was so fluid and beautiful and kind of relaxed. And when was that? What year was that? I have no idea what year that was, but it would have been nineties, ninety one. Yeah, wow, ninety two maybe. So right, so your first experience of yoga was was straight into Ashtanga yoga, and we're there. No, I'd done a little bit of Iyengar yoga. I'd done some weekend workshops, okay. mm. and really, really enjoyed yoga. Um, I thought, yes, this might be for me. And previous to that, you were working as a body worker, um, massage, massage therapist? Yes. Yeah, a whole mix of stuff that I was doing. But it was yeah. basically helping people find space in their bodies and um, obviously working as a masseuse, yeah. Did you then follow um, Derek Arada over to Crete or, I mean? Well, I was teaching, um, a dear friend of mine, Ken Ironman, um, ran a, 
a training course and it was kind of Feldenkrais based. So I'd really got into somatics. And so that, that was, that was my, if you like, that was my re-entry to my own body. Because when you're, you know, you kind of go through life and you're, I'm, I'm quite a physical person. Um, mm. I've done gymnastics when I was young and then had a whole patch where there was kind of nothing, but I was really interested mm. in the body. So I was doing body work. And then um, Ken Ironman, when I, I met him at Nature Works, which is part of the dance works kind of thing, and he, I was assisting him on his training program. And Derek came along and did a demonstration. And um, it was it was just, just for the group that we were working with. And um, one way or another between Derek, Derek invited me to go to the practice place. Yeah. So, so I went with Ken, yeah, and we spent a couple of weeks. I suppose we should just talk about that Derek Island probably brought, i say he probably brought Ashtanga to Europe, right? He was the first person to kind of bring Ashtanga to Europe through the... And Rada too. And Rada, of course. And Rada, yeah, yeah, as a couple. Yeah, um, as a couple. And they were dynamic. And um, they were so... Um, they had an enigma, I think. And it was very attractive. It was kind of like... Yeah, yeah they seemed to carry poise and um, a presence and a... Kind of people, people said they used to have an open top Jeep and, with, and both had long blonde hair. So this yeah. own this Jeep with the, the hair blowing behind them. Yeah. Uh, I that I like, like to, uh, yeah, I think they were really wild uh, in the day. I'm still, I'm, I'm trying to chase Rada down for an interview and she was in the UK, um, in, in Hastings, but um, she's, she's still, she's still an enigma. She, she eluded me. She's still promising me one, but she's, she's escaped back to Crete now. Uh, wait, waiting for that. And well, and now Pierre obviously is a uh, Rada's uh, ex partner as well, um, but still struggling to track him down as well. But um, you know, they were my they were my first teachers, really. So you know, I have a you know I have a great affinity to, to what what was <laughs> when I arrived. It was Yoga Plus. Um, right. But when, you know, you went and and spent much time there. Did you spend much time in uh, in Crete? No, no, right. not at all. I went straight from there. I literally went to my well, right, okay. Yeah. Right. I went to Kovalam and did um, a workshop. Well, I didn't do a workshop. I went, I contacted John Scott to, uh, because Ken Ironman had told me he was teaching in, in Kerala. Yeah, right. I was kind of afraid to go to Guruji because it was kind of too big. And, um, and I was such a beginner. And I, I made a contact with John. And my friend and I were going to India and we were kind of, finding our way gradually towards Guruji in Mysore. But, I kind of did the same thing when I first went, yeah. Yeah, it so was a crab. I was a sideways Easy crab. way into it, yeah, yeah. So yeah. you met, I mean, obviously John was your ex-husband and you met John in Kovalam. So I met him in Kovalam and then we went to right. Mysore. Okay, right. So that must have, your first experiences of Mysore must have been very much kind of framed around John having been there already and probably, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I, you know, I, I didn't really know much about John. He was just um, a Kiwi who strutted his stuff. You know, <laughs> he was very kind of yeah, strutting his stuff. And, <laughs> yeah, I, I met him, and it was, it was kind of really nice to be cushioned into an entry mm, into Mysore mm, mm. and into what was fifteen, the next fifteen years of kind of going back with children. Right. Mm -hmm. Not every year, but many, many years. We 
we went for a couple of months. And, but my, fir- my first visit to Mysore, I was then pregnant because John and I got together and I conceived India. Right. So my first time in Mysore was with Guruji and then um, I, was, I was pregnant uh, on the fourth month that I was there, yeah. Right, okay. And then when you went back the next time, I suppose you, had, you, you brought India with you. With India. Yeah, back to India. Um, so, I mean, you had a, a lot of experiences with Tarby Joyce. Um, you know, what, what's, what are your feelings now? It's been a, it's, um, yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? Like we have very personal memories and experiences. Mm -hmm. And I know that that there's been a huge um, issue with, you know, Mm. come to light in recent times um, with Guruji and um, all the people who had really not good experiences, especially uh, females, it would Mm. be. And, um, you know, that coloured things for me quite a bit, but I still um, I still kind of have my own mem- memory bank of things. And um, for me, Guruji was always really kind. Right. And mm. um, to me. And, you know, I, I guess we come from our own backgrounds. And um, for me, I was kind of always looking for... Um, not not a guru ever because I'm not very good at following. So I have a kind of natural um, aversion to it, and um, it was. But uh, but I liked having people to kind of look up to, and I found I found Guruji at that time. I could I had this um, whether it was a field phenomenon that everybody else was kind of mm, mm. that way, or whether it was just. Um, an impact that he had on me energetically, but I, I really, ba- I kind of, um, I worked hard because he was there. Right. <laughs> yeah. He motivated, he inspired you. Motivated and right. I, I was also really daunted, and I was also really angry because I found, um, I, I, the yoga for me, it, it felt, <clears throat> excuse me, like. My, my maybe my own competitive nature couldn't help but kind of come in right. and, and it wanted to do as well as everybody else you know that kind of thing mm. and it really, really isn't that yeah so so i think it it made this kind of bit of me angry um that that there seemed to be so much onus on what you could do Oh, so you weren't angry because you couldn't do it. You were just uh, ang- angry because the emphasis was so physical. Yes, and and and, and because um, and also I think I was angry because I was John's partner. Yes, I was expected to be so much better than I actually was. <laughs> and um, you know, and and so that made this kind of that's what made me angry. I think it, anger is a funny word, but kind of yeah, frustrated. It was a frustration. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, Teresa had the same experience with me in my tour. Uh, you, know, you know how you get the start time seem to progress earlier and earlier, the kind of, you know, quote unquote, better you get. So she ended up, you know, progressing with my start time to earlier and earlier. And then she was in a class with very advanced people, you know, and she's still working the dropbacks and standing up, getting very frustrated there when everyone around her was kind of flying around, you know. It's a, yeah. yeah it's and so there's, yeah. there's that kind of thing where you're, and I think that was the difficult thing for me was the comparison. Like, you know, because yoga really is just about 
presence with yourself and you know being with your breath and no wonder there's drishti to keep you from seeing what everybody else is is actually doing because it's really about your experience and um yeah really coming into a relationship with your own body mm. not mm. that it's not a performance and i i guess that's the bit i was i was kind of uncomfortable with how how people were elevated to statuses because of what they could do with their bodies and you know that wasn't necessarily to say that they were elevated in in you, you don't i mean you don't think it corroborates you don't think it correlates the necessarily no. not at all because i think um i think that you can be you can you can yoga is wider than asana and i think that you know obviously different people um have worked through and processed much stuff in themselves and they've come to to states of um realization where they can realize that they're not their thoughts and they're you know and that can all happen regardless of the asana so if we're talking mm. about asana what are we doing we're we're moving the body to to cleanse it's basically um to find stillness actually it's to find a seat um and it and I, from a nadi point of view it, it's really clearing um the energy in the body so that one can sit for longer mm. and um i yeah i don't think the two necessarily correlate because some people are just elastic some people's ligaments are loose i mean we're all there are all sorts of things that feed into what make the, our bodies the way they are genetically and other, otherwise yeah so how do you i mean how do you find the tradition of ashtanga yoga because obviously you're kind of you're meant to to follow these set sequences and you know there's a there's a great onus on progressing through the sequences or you know they, they, you know apparently there's a so so um to be really honest i um i when i'm in my practice my own personal mm. practice i i love the fact that there's an architecture of something to follow but right. i okay. i don't regularly go off piste you don't no i do oh, you do okay right <laughs> and, and, you, and you teach as well so how do you, do you are you traditional in the teaching i mean um i'll teach do you know i'll um i'll teach quite traditionally like if a person's in a pose I'll, uh, and I'm coming in to help them yeah I'll talk through the count where they are in the count and right so I'll, I'd like to differentiate you as a teacher because obviously you know you have this historicity um with with John right you know and so therefore you know it's like well you're your own teacher as well so I mean how 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 would you say that you differ in your teaching because i know that for example the counting is very very specific with john he he's very interested in the vinyasa count are you that interested in it yeah i i will use the count mm. but my what i do is orient people to what they're feeling and right i'm quite exacting i'm i'm really into anatomy and um i really like to understand the body and i've kind of done lots and lots of different courses and obviously with my cranial work so which yeah. is, you know you need the anatomy and um the anatomy has helped me enormously kind of understanding you know what moves what and how and what to engage and what not to engage and where weaknesses are when mm. long or muscles are locked short and so i'm really really in the body still so the count just kind of sits there for me it's not something 
that I really enjoy. And when I'm doing my own practice, it's only if I've got a really fluffy brain that day that I'll actually even kind of um, think, gosh, just count. Because then, but then I'm back into sensation and what's happening and what's the... Yeah, because I mean, the count doesn't really suggest necessary deviations or modifications and it sounds like maybe you you might be inclined to modify I mean do you modify the practice for the individual or do you always right so then it kind of kind of goes contrary to the count then if you're helping them I mean if you if they're stuck at Marie Charleston B on you know D for example I mean then what do you do, do you... so if they're on Marie Chiasna D mm. side they're they're in Supta and we spend ages in Supta mm-hmm. finding the ground and finding you know, to switch on the glutes for external rotation of the Padmasana leg. And, you know, it's, you know, listening to the spine, seeing what needs, depends on the, sh- the shapes that that person's holding. Because some people are obviously stuck in extension in their thoracic and they need to soften and, and find flexion again. And so it's, it's a, it really depends on what's in front of me, but I'm much more oriented to the body than I am to any count. Mm. I always ask everyone about their their feelings of allowing people further on if they can't do the rechasters. I mean, do you allow them to go through the rest of the series? Allow is a funny word, but I mean, obviously, you know, the way that you would be taught it originally when you did the primary series with Derek and is you just kind of did what you could and muddled through, right? And that was the way that I experienced it first. And then I found it, I found it all kind of disciplinarian when, when in my store, it was like mm-hmm. you stopped at such and such until you could get your mm-hmm. arm in Pindasana and mm-hmm. I can't, I can't really remember how, I mean, I was uh, just for, I forgot to mention, I was on John's and met Lucy on John's first ever teacher training in, in Penzance in Cornwall, but it was a long time ago, maybe from 20 years almost ago, um, and uh, I can't really remember whether whether he he was into stopping people at certain points or you know um, uh, he, he 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 was. You do lotus, then you can't progress. Yeah, there was some of that. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I I say to people just tuck your leg under. Right. Yeah. Um, let's just work on the external rotation and find the ground and how does that feel and can you move your spine from there? Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. John and I, we differ um, greatly in that respect. But, um, you know, people change as well, so goodness knows what what he's doing now, you know. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, Well, so, right. Well, how does your um, your background now with the craniosacral inform your teaching then? Because you mentioned that you were, you know, in somatic, following the energy flow. Um, Yeah, I, so that, um, <clears throat> I, I qualified as a craniosacral therapist in 2004. And so when my children were young, I was going off to Devon to train with Franklin Sills. And I was mm. excited about that work because for me, actually, so much, there's so much yoga. It, it, in fact, it was a much more, it was bringing um, all the things that we talk about in yoga into a felt sense experience so um for me it was enlightening and it changed everything for me and i think it 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 kind of gave me permission to 
come come back into my more natural place, which is sensation in the body and you know feeling. Because I think we can. Let me say this: we can do um, a whole practice, and we can be so dissociative. Mm, mm. Feel ourselves. We can't even feel uh, pain, or or pain is kind of um, only when it's reached a certain excursion and heat. Do we actually notice? Whereas if we're really in presence with the body all the way through, then we 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 have we, we're we're kind of with the markers that say, and that's enough. Three. Mm, mm. Because I think, and also if we look at the yamas, and we, we, we're ahimsa is is the first one, and it's it's non-hurting. Mm. So for me, how did that fit into the Ashtanga world? You know, it was there was a lot of hurting going on mm, mm. i'm not saying that you know the body won't naturally ache or respond to the stresses <clears throat> or the or or the overwork that we've done but actually if you if you're really in presence with your body you you kind of you go to where it is every day and that might be a different place and that comes forward and backwards it's tidal but the cranial work for me really because it's a listening practice, mm. it's about changing something. It's about um, engaging with potency, which allow a lot, which can be inertial in tissues in the body, and allowing that potency to kind of um, be active again in the system and actually start to undo. So it's very much about um, old forces that haven't have been contained in the body being able to dissipate and undo and then softness returning to tissues and essentially breath which is called motility so the tissues have a natural breath and um it's so an energy isn't it i mean just to just define what cranial sacral is i remember i think i had the treatment in penzance when i was down there and i remember someone holding my head and then and at a point also holding my feet and there was a sense of a very very subtle energy mobilization or something going on so um so it can't okay so it, in basically we're held within fields within fields life force comes from the great fields the big field into the body but obviously um the bigger fields are um, organizing embryologically um cells tissues how how we're formed and the potency is the active force in the body that um, you know contains any and compensates anything that ha- things that happen. So, for example, you hurt your knee, and the the potency goes into a healing function, and it 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 go it basically holds the tissues in inertia to look after them. And so, cranial work is really about li- a listening practice to the wholeness. Um, with, without you interfering or wanting to change, but allowing the body to speak through the potency, through the action of potency about what it needs to do. And you, you, you're, you're witness to, and um, in some ways, your presence and holding field allow things to undo that have... Mm. Can you combine that with practice? Can you bring that into practice? And how... How would that translate to practice? So, so I very often work because it, um, the 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 fluid tide is ever present. Um, there are points at which it pauses into stillness, and but if I have my hands on the body, then I can feel the tide, and I can feel 
patterns in the tide and things I can feel in what's called an inertial fault. The tide is the, the spinal yeah. fluid? Yes, well, the fluid tide of the body. So right. in the body have an embryological breath and that's fluid tide, yeah. Right. And can someone move the energy if they're very careful themselves using these principles in the Ashtanga practice? So I, t- I tend to try to teach my students to, to come into a relationship with their own fluid tide because, because beyond the physical body, it drops you, you down. And it kind of, um, it's, it really is the quickest way into meditation. So it kind of, it, 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 tra- it traverses or connects the, the world of the body with, with the being. Yeah. Mm. Very about whole, it's really about the wholeness that we are. The one cell that we came from is still here. It's it, things don't kind of go away. We're we're constantly we're still in an embryological process now, but we're out in the world, and the body's still changing, and the forces that lead us to change are still ever present. They're the same forces that brought us into being, and they're still going on now. Yeah. Without wishing to polarize, it does seem like a very feminine energy in the practice. Um, rather than some it seems like a feminine energy rather than some of the more male oriented um kind of ideas about progression in the asanas um can you speak a little bit about how you feel the role of the female teacher is different to the male or is it in your in your experience well i suppose it depends on you know the nature of a person because you know, there's men have enormous femininity and nurture and um, some women are more robust and kind of strong. And, you know, so I, I think, you know, coming out of the, the male-female, I think it's that, that people possess, individual people. And, you know, I, I, I probably am I'm quite nurturing. Mm. Mm. I can also be quite strong with a, with a, an adjustment. For example, if the t- if I'm listening to the tissues and you know they feel soft enough, I can I'll hold strong ground. I'll say that. Right. In a, for me, adjustments are really about getting people to feel the gravity because you know, gravity is everything. We, the, the, all the poses are, the more we, we connect to earth and the more we actively consciously connect to everywhere our feet are, just minute movements and pressures through different parts of the foot that then open up the hip, for example, or yeah. So, so for me, uh, the practice is really about gravity and space. And it's the more that we can find ground, the more space we can find in the body. And it's, you know, poses, I guess, we can get caught up in wanting a pose, can't we? I think we've all experienced that. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, if we, if we just keep pushing at the body, the potency will go to protect parts that are being over pushed so you're actually you're not working with the body you're working against the body Mm. my my sense of things is it's really individual i i think you know some people are really i'm very structural but i'm also i I, kind of hold both sides of it 
And also I'm really sensitive to the energetic kind of thing. Mm. And also there's the emotional and, you know, you can hear someone's mind being really busy, can't you? You just step into their field and you're, you, know, you know when someone's kind of, and they just need to slow things down and come out of um, to stress patterns, if you like, that are in the body. How would you do that? Any, any just breath right for just slowing down the breath right. taking out too the too much effort right and softening and then you know the one of the things about um down regulating your nervous system um is is coming into present time and which is all right prefrontal cortex stuff and um so you can really just bring someone into sensation and that's enough for the whole system to begin to go i'm being listened to now yeah no i mean i do remember that from from all those years ago um in penzance with you and john um when you tried to get me to listen to my own body um <laughs> took, took me many more many more years and many more injuries maybe to to do that um you know most people have to learn the hard way what, what would you what would you say um defines a good teacher wow that's a different mm. it wouldn't necessarily it would be yeah oh gosh it would be um an amalgamation of many things it, that they're that they're kind of grounded they do their own um practice not an advanced practice as in asana advanced but that they're really in presence with themselves that they're also able to to hold other people um because you you know you need to be able to kind of hold a wider field especially if you've got a room full of people mm. um, i think i think it, there's got to be a certain knowledge in their own bodies through practice and a present that, that they're 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 present they're, they're kind of in their um, sensation self and they're, they're always inquiring and curious about um, their own experience. And, and I think that they need to be able to um, have traveled a path to be able to see where other people are on that kind of journey. Yeah, I think, I think you need to be kind. Mm, mm. I suppose. What do you define? How yeah, that's a good question. I was kind of. I think it's a question I wanted to ask you because um, I've always been in confusion. Because I found when I met you and John, obviously I was you know very interested in the gymnastic aspects and very attracted by John's ability and, and his charisma, and he was deeply charismatic and inspiring. But to a degree. And I left that teacher training in the end because I kind of felt that I would only be a mini John Scott or a bad version of John in the end if I carried on, you know, under his charisma in a way, you know. I mean, at the time anyway, and it's definitely not the same for everyone, and he's taught many people fantastically, but I felt like I needed to kind of leave to find my own voice. And, subsequ and subsequent to that, mm -hmm. I think, and that experience even, I've been kind of wary of being... 
I've wanted to be very hands-off or transparent as a teacher. So, so the person had space to come into their own, you know, it's kind of like, it's not my practice and it's not, you know, I mean, this is very much my quality as a teacher because it's not about me or my practice or what I'm doing or, or what I think about it even, you know, it's about your own authority and taking authority of your own practice because yeah. you know just as much as me. And I think the feeling is, with the teacher is that they know more than you, which is not the case necessarily. It's just a question of being confident to take your own experience and hold your own sense of the, your own experience of your own body. So that, that's what I would define. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. And I think that in a way, that's what I'm trying to say is that if you can really help a person come back into relationship with the parts of themselves that one way or another, they've become dislocated with along the way through life experiences, Mm. That's a lovely teacher. I think that, yeah, I suppose a strong teacher is fantastic as an inspiration, but can also be somewhat an obstacle potentially becoming back to yourself, you know? And I can definitely see that. Exactly that. It's not about the teacher at all. The teacher is, is facilitating your journey back into a, a clearer, deeper connection with your yourself wholly, not just your body, but your your whole self. And that includes your emotional and psychological kind of being. And I think I think also to for people to be able to feel that you're not I always um I don't want anyone to kind of put me on any kind of pedestal. And right. I'll often, I'll often lay that ground and say I'm just another one of you who's been doing this a little bit longer perhaps or you know, so that people feel on the same level because we are. There mm. is a hierarchy. And I think that's what I was saying about the discomfort I had in Mysore in the early years because mm. there, there seemed to be such a hierarchy and the hierarchy seemed to depend on um, on your ability, your physical kind of ability. Um, and if you're dissociate, if you're... You know, I, I, I've seen in Mysore so many people who just are not even in their bodies. I mean, you can see it, can't you? Whereas you can see people who are really practicing with, with, with Pratihara, with mm. turning the, 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 the inner sight, inner here, you know, who are present mm. and they're in their own experience. And I think um, that there's a lot to be said for helping people coming come back to themselves rather than come back to themselves and judging themselves because they can't do this or can't do that but to kind of orient what you can do and so for me that's why variations and supports come in because everybody can do yoga is there a way to relate the asanas to in a way in such a way that they can be emotionally kind of supportive or restorative or can you relate emotionally to the asana well, if an, if it depends what's being kind of triggered, doesn't it? Because particular asana can trigger different things for people. Mm. You know, supta kamasana, for example, um, it triggers for people. Um, and maybe it triggers right back to our earliest experiences of kind of um, birth and things because there's no space. It's kind of like mm. no space. And some of these places can be... can bring up lots of stuff and I think that's important as a teacher as well so I'll often do things that make Supta Kamasana comfortable almost restorative 
and see how the breath is there with no, so by elevating the legs, for example. And so there's more space or doing it on chairs where you hang and you, you've got, mm. mm-hmm. I think th- those things are, uh, lots of stuff comes up for people. Different poses bring bring up different things. Yeah, it seems to be a common thread of your teaching to get someone back into the body, whereas I think you can easily use the practice, ironically enough, to yeah. become more disembodied, yeah, I, um, which I, is a strange, a strange phenomenon when it's a very physical practice, but somehow almost the kind of rigour of it can kind of dull you to sensation rather than, than make you more aware of sensation. Yeah, because you're so you're so engaged in getting to the next, it's like the next breath, the next place, the next breath, the next place. And mm. it's actually, for me, it, it's like, no, 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 just, just slow down. Be here. How is it? How is it here? What do you feel? What, what sensations, what parts of your body are speaking to you? Because the body only has one language. And, and actually, like in theory of somatics, you need a little bit more time. It's interesting, it used to be eight to 10 breaths, didn't it, in, in all the poses before it got kind of shifted to five. You learned it like that? Um, eight. Eight, right. Because I think it was, it was more, I mean, it was, I think it's made at the start, it was as many breaths as you need. You know, you can spend longer periods even, you know, if you want 20 breaths and then gradually over the years, you know, until with 10 years time, it'll be like each posture pertains to one breath. <laughs> so I don't see the point in this, this one breath kind of practice where you're in, out, because mm-hmm. you're never grounding. You're never really finding earth. You're never really seeing what can I feel that's in contact with the ground? What can I move from there? You know, there's no... There's no time to um, to get curious and to really find a pose, and and I think um, for me, uh, my teaching is is much more that than than move on, move on, move on. If you're interested in finding a sense of gravity, ground, yeah, Mm-mm. because I don't think there's a pose without it. I think that you you would say you would share with me, right? What? I remember that John was very interested in gravity, that, that, you know, and an air, something like that. <laughs> yeah, well, for me, it's gravity and then the space that we can find by pushing. Right. Yeah, so I remember, John, you know, John, I think uh, he talked a lot about um, equal and opposite. Mm. Fair enough. Um, you Also, the way you, you relate to a student, it sounds quite... Well, it sounds quite uh, relational. It sounds quite personal. It sounds like um, an emotional relationship that you're engendering. Is that is that important for the practice? Yeah, because the the whole of the cranial um, world is about re- relationship. Everything is about relationship. Be it you know, all our experiences are our relationship to this or our relationship to that. So um, for me, completely. Um, I'm really relational. Um, I'm as present as I can be with that person. But when you're asking these kind of questions, it almost seems like you're entering into an emotional relationship. Is that the case? No, because there's kind of clear boundary. In right. What's me, what's you. Right. But just to be able to be still enough, present enough and clear enough for that person to feel themselves more clearly 
Mm. So it's kind of that. Mm, mm. Without taking away any of the warmth. Yeah, it seems you convey support and warmth. Um, and I think, yeah, I remember that being very, very nice of your teaching is that it was an embracing practice rather than what can be a kind of a rather punitive or, or, or kind of, um, let's say, body-denying practice, you know. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough at this asana. I need to, you know, I need someone to push me in it or need to work harder, you know. I mean, it's easy to, to phrase the practice along those lines, you know. And, you know, I love adjusting because I love, I, I know how I've done body work now for 30 yeah. mm-hmm. and I And I just know how the body moves. And um, I can see what's, what needs to be supported in order for space. So it, for me, that it's so delightful when people are delighted because they finally found their way to something through the work that you've given them. And it's nice to break it down into steps of how right. as well. Can you, can you think of any particular example of, of an adjustment you give or a, mod, a particular modification of posture that would give a, a kind of flavour of, of the way that you're doing that? Um, my adjustments are always, they're always, there's always a verbal component, which will be orienting the person to what they're feeling. Can you feel your sit bones on the ground? Now see if you can engage your, so Baddha Konasana, see if you can actually engage the glute, the glute maximus and posterior parts of the um, medius to rotate your femur and now, you know, press through the heels and see now what extension you can find in your spine. Don't think of going forward, just see what you can find. And then suddenly the person through the pushing between the two heels has fallen forward because they've done the right thing in the body. Mm -hmm. It's that kind of, because the body doesn't like being done to but it doesn't mind if you're engaging it as part of the journey mm, mm. into and out of poses. Yeah. So, so, you know, my teaching is really, is, is really kind of that mix. Um, and, you know, taking people to a point, it's like a traffic light system. You can feel when tissues stop. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to go any further than that. So let's do so along those lines, and, and I suppose like relating to what we talked about before the interview, I mean, how do you kind of see yoga or your experience of yoga or a definition or feel of yoga progressing over time? I mean, you've done it now for a long time. Um, how, how is it evolving for you and where do you see your, your yoga evolving to? I don't, I, I don't have a, um, a path for it. I mean, obviously, as we get older, the physical can't or perhaps isn't so important. I mean, are you still practicing physically or are you doing more meditation or you know, um, you're ever into pranayama? Yeah, I do some pranayama. I do um, some cleansing practices. I do some meditation. But as I said, I my meditation is much more cranial-based, so I'll just listen to my fluid tide and then move out into greater fields until I can feel other forces and winds come through my system. So it's much more kind of connected. Mm. It's not me sitting there in my small self. It's me really expanding out 
into the bigger uh, fields, which is very cranial. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, my my asana practice is just lovely. <laughs> I really enjoy it. It's um, I like practicing outside. I like practicing with the forces of nature around me. So if I can, I'll do it in the garden. But um, at the moment, I'm practicing in the attic. And um, yeah, I, it's got more and more curious and more and more deep and more and more uh, slow often. But I'll, like yesterday, I whipped through a primary series, but... Um, it doesn't sound very craniosacral. <laughs> no, that, that was a really nice thing to do, but it doesn't mean it's like I'm I'm much more in every moment and in every breath and sensing, feeling, action all at once. So it's a much deeper. It's it's a very different practice for me. I never push things. And if I can't do Marichi Asana on a particular day, I'll just hold it where it is and breathe and feel my spine. And, um, you know, I don't have to bind in D. And then the next day I bind in D effortlessly. It's kind of, I'm a, I allow the, the body to dictate mm. because it's, it's holding so many things and processing so many things overnight. And, you know, you get on the mat in the morning. The body's never the same. Who who is your teacher? Did John teach you at all, or no? It was Patabi Joyce. Um, John, well, John, John, and um, yeah, I was never his student, but probably not a good idea. I, I've tried to teach Teresa, and that didn't go down well. So <laughs> usually it doesn't work. But I, I learned huge amounts from him. Right. You know how would how would you not? You have a twenty year marriage, and you practice together a fair bit. Mm, mm. You're you're one another's only adjuster. So I guess I learned to adjust third series by working with John. Um, yeah. So in a way, no, he wasn't my direct teacher. Um, Guruji was, and um, but John and I were always together, learning from one another. I think, and he learned a lot. He always said he learned a lot from me, from my bodywork background, and. And me from from John World. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I remember him crediting you a lot. I think with your your backbend work as well. Yeah, and I still I I love I love breaking down poses and really understanding how shoulder blades move and how you know which directions to put the bones and which muscles support that and kind of finding helping people find heart opening backbend. Are you teaching a mice or um, It's been an interesting time, hasn't it, with class? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I I did six weeks of Zooming and I did my teacher training online. So, um, and I was also in the middle, we were, I was also finishing uh, teaching Craniosacral Two-Year Foundation and that had to move on to line, on, online. Right, yeah. So I was kind of really busy during those first um, periods through COVID. But, um, yeah, so I'm still kind of working on, I see my teacher training group once a week, but I haven't Zoomed since then. I just wanted to kind of do a do a free donation Zoom for as many people as who wanted to come just for six, I did it for six weeks. 
you can start a Mysore practice? Well, um, when my room downstairs is ready, because I bought this old house and we're kind of renovating. Then I, in, there's a big studio downstairs. In Devon? Yeah. In oh, in Totnes. Is that near Totnes? It's in the middle of Dartmoor. Right, okay. Right in the middle of the moor. With all its sprites and elves and... I have to ask this question because people are always interested. Do you have any recommendations for diet at all, for food, for yoga? Well, gosh. Um, I mean, how do you relate to your diet? Because it's a, you know, it's a big. I, t- I tend to be mainly vegetarian, but not always. Right. That kind of changed with with um, menopause, and yeah, I think I think. Um, fresh eating fresh and organic and obviously noticing what your body likes and doesn't like because there's always responses again that's the body's language isn't it for you know I don't really like pulses because yeah and and for me um it's interesting with all that time in India living entirely off pulses and rice basically Mm, mm. um, my body actually doesn't really like lentils So it's it's kind of interesting. So, you know, I I I do have dairy, like I'll have halloumi and salad, and um, just just really fresh and organic when possible. Um, simple food. I really eat very simply. Mm, mm. I just like eating avocados out of their shells, and you know, it's like I'm not. Um, you know, I will have some salmon or something, a piece of fish and salad or rice or. Yeah, I think it's easy to look for the rules in the head, isn't it? It's a kind of a mental understanding of what diet should look like rather than actually how it yeah. affects you physically in yeah. the, your, actual, your actual experience, your personal experience. Yeah, listen to your body. Your body will let you know what, yeah. what's good. And You don't have such an austere diet in Mysore now because there's loads of Western places catering for Western the Western palates, you know. But yeah, when I first went, it was... Uh, if you wanted to eat Western food, that was that was you were out of luck there. You know? Yeah, uh, yeah. Just go and get a little loaf of bread from the bakers and have peanut butter and jam. I remember always eating that. Yeah, I remember our, our um, the ultimate accolade for food after a while was: it, is it bland? Does it, does it taste bland? Which is you know, it's like it's kind of a, synonymous with how, with a good taste you know yeah, the blander the better yeah you just want to, <laughs> really want to know, what's the blandest thing you have on the menu you know <laughs> yeah. that's uh, really awful actually isn't it yeah. well after a lot of masala and after masala breakfast and lunch you know at dinner time you just want no masala yeah, um, goodness me do i miss dosa well, yeah, the, the problem is after a few years, then you kind of go well, a little while or, you know, even a month even out of India, then you kind of really want Indian food again. You just need a bit of rest after a while. Yeah, I do I do make dal. I do, I kind of do, but I just know I can't have it too often. Right. Mm. What, what advice would you give to younger self? Younger self would have been, yeah, would have um, been to be more gentle with myself and not to have got caught up in feeling that I needed to be as good as others, you know, because I think that did me quite a lot of harm emotionally. It did right. me because I felt never good enough. 
always felt kind of ashamed that I wasn't as good as John or Wow, that's funny. It never came across, you know. <laughs> yeah. No, I think the funny thing is also that no one expects it, you know. I think it's that those kind of mantles are often put on by ourselves, really. Yeah. Or, yeah. That's a mental kind of, um, mm-hmm. it's a place that that I could quite, I can easily get into is um, the not good enough. Mm. I can do that. To, I can actually get into that now. Mm. And, you know, one of the reasons I don't kind of, um, put myself practicing because I kind of still really sensitive to, because if I see, see myself and I look at it and I think, Oh my goodness, I should have done da, 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 it. I'm really, really self-critical. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I try to come out of all that kind of, uh, I don't engage too much with the social media, putting myself out there. I, I just don't. And in fact, that's not really what I'm about. No. Um, I've always been really shy of photographs of myself or video videos of myself. But saying that, I'm just about to put out a primary series um, Zoom class. Um, okay. But it's just that kind of um, sensitivity to being analysed or being... And yet, isn't that interesting? Because paradoxically, when I'm standing there, I'm analyzing everything that I'm seeing in the class and what certain, you know, that hip joint has dropped in and down and actually it needs to find a way to lift back out. You know, that kind of thing. I'm always analyzing. So maybe it's that. It's not wanting not wanting um, that to myself. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think as a teacher, you... you obviously if you're teaching it you want to be a prior example but also I mean you know I think we have to realize that everybody does have its own blueprint you know and every asana will be experienced in a particular body in a certain way you know what I mean and I think it's easy when you come across someone like obviously like John you know to feel well if I just practice hard enough then I will be like that but no, I never wanted to be like John. Who's going to be like? <laughs> I'm so sorry, but maybe it's because I'm not a man, but I am. Uh, what woman did you want to emulate? <laughs> oh, I, I just saw so much beauty. Right. Um, Annie Grover, who was then right. face, I found her, her lines and her, she was kind of effortlessly exquisite in her practice there was there was so i mean you know and those bodies were young you know yeah. our bodies change and you know yeah our bodies um can still be from from the cranial point of view the potency and potency in my body is now freer than it was 20 years ago right that's inspiring or at least <laughs> optimistic yeah. outlook yeah that's that's nice yeah so um, I, I don't feel that I can't be healthy or that my practice mm, mm. is what it is it's what mm, it is. Mm, mm. and um yeah and um, okay just just a little bit of fun in the end um What's your what 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 inspires you? What's your can you kind of name a, a place or a person or a book or what kind of stuff inspires you? Mm, so many people inspire me. Uh, poets, um, 
inspire me. Um, I read, I, do you know, I read so much anatomy. Right. Um, do you find that inspiring? <laughs> do you? <laughs> books. Yeah. I, I, I absolutely, I'm inspired by um, how extraordinary we are in the minuscule, in the, in the, in the detail, in how we're, we've been put together by the greater architect. And what anatomy books, what anatomy kind of book? Because obviously there's very different kind of... Um, so I, I just, oh, I have so many. They're all around me. Um, I yeah. think like, because I mean, I was going to say they're very different perspectives on what anatomy ought to be like, right? Fascial, um, fascia, right. you know, like um, um, anatomy trains and... Um, or the, well, there are many, and a lot of cranial books that I read. And I think, um, yeah, The Stillness of Life and, um, oh, it's too many. I, I, if I showed you my room, there's piles of books everywhere. It's really difficult. I'm, I'm always just picking up and reading a little bit of this or a little bit of that. I'm very interested in how the body speaks our stories. So, um, yeah, uh-huh. so it looks like the body has its reasons and, um, yeah. What, what do you do outside yoga? Just for a bit of light relief. Garden. Garden. <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't know you were gardener. Right. I, 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 um, I'm literally stripping wallpaper, sanding windows, filling, uh, painting, and a bit of gardening. Yeah. Did you do the gardens when you were in New Zealand? That must have been nice, yeah. yeah. You can go there, it's probably... Yeah, we, we literally... I mean, Sarah Pearson Coates was my greatest helper. And she's still in New Zealand now, but between she and I, we landscaped what was mm. about three acres of the land surrounding the house. So we planted olive orchards and um, we, we we'd, honestly, we weed matted for miles. <laughs> and and barked and yeah we 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 literally I went back actually to Still Point Yoga last year. Did you? Yeah. Mm. And um, they walked me round and it is now a forest because we I, we planted over a thousand trees. <clears throat> I was mad. I, I was completely mad. I wanted um, we had this naked hillside and what had been sheep f- fields. And that we we put paths through them, and we we just planted it, and it really now things grow very fast there. It was a forest. It was so beautiful. Who's taking it over now? Oh, a, lo- a lovely couple bought it. Right. Um, they bought it because it had this kind of um, a couple of acres of native woods with some really ancient beech trees, and um, they were in love with the with the native forest and they've been spreading it and all the trees I planted were natives so we've literally kind of almost reforested a little patch of New Zealand mm. and what and finally what do you do for what's your kind of guilty pleasure or a treat oh it's too many <laughs> <laughs> loads <laughs> I dare not it's tell funny how everyone answers that differently and so, so I think David Swenson said something like 
or you shouldn't be guilty about it, or <laughs> I'm not guilty about any pleasure, or something. <laughs> I enjoy all my guilty pleasures. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to be guilty about. No. no. Okay, well, it's been wonderful to, um, to speak to you again after so many years. Um, and, and thanks for um, and coming on and giving me an interview. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Um, <laughs> so, um, thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to add at the end? It's really lovely to see you all growing up. <laughs> I know. You see me as an old man now. No, well, you're not at all old man, but all grown up. Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah, I think when I saw you, maybe when I was 20, about 20. Yeah. My son is now 22. And um, yeah. That's crazy because I can remember when he was, I think he must have been about four. I remember he was wearing a waistcoat and running around, but very small. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, to see you. And um, yeah. Thank you. And um, maybe I'll come down and visit you sometime. Yeah, really nice if you did. <laughs> okay, thank you.